This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. It is a Thursday drive. We'll get out the Panthers camp momentarily, but first, I actually wanted to do a summer check-in on Wake Forest basketball. A year and a half removed, do Deacon fans realize how lucky they are to have Steve Forbes? I know I've made this point before, but it's still an important one to make. That if the pandemic didn't scare off literally every other high major program from making a coaching change last year, Forbes would not be here right now. He'd almost certainly have a bigger job. Wake Forest took a massive risk. It was April of 2020. So much was uncertain, especially financially in college sports. They rolled the dice, and I think that's a risk that could soon be rewarded, maybe even sooner than we all thought. Because here's two things I know about Forbes. Number one, he's a winner. He won 75% of his games in the SoCon at East Tennessee State. And before last season... He had not had a losing season as a head coach since he was coaching community college in 1996, a quarter century ago. The second thing I know, he's brutally honest. He will tell you exactly how he feels, probably tell you more than he probably should. There are not many coaches like that in college basketball, which is why when he was really high on the team he has next year, Yesterday at his press conference, his summer check-in presser, I took it seriously because he went farther than I expected a coach to. There's some who would think, Josh, what's he supposed to say? Of course he's going to sell his program and tell you how great it's going to be. Steve Forbes, considering how candid he is, for him to go this far... It's something to note right now in the middle of August. I love our roster. We have 13 ACC players on our team. I did not have that last year. There's not one player on our team that cannot play in the ACC. Not one player on the team that can't play in the ACC. Last year, we did not have 13 guys who could play in this league. That immediately put a shockwave in my head. Okay, he's got ACC guys now. He feels like he can compete. When you look at what he's done this summer, coaches, they've had to adapt more than maybe they've had to in the last couple of decades. The sport has changed so much. The one-time transfer, NIL, so much uncertainty in the future. The NCAA, how much power do they actually have? Texas and Oklahoma moving, what's that going to mean for conference realignment? Amid all the chaos, Forbes has done about as well as anybody in the ACC with the transfer portal. He transformed this roster, and he upgraded it. Nine new players on the team. You have the conventional recruits, but you also bring in some guys who might be among the best players on this team as transfers. Usually, we'll try to mine coaches with questions to figure out who's looked really good during the summer. Those practices are closed off 
Coaches protect what's happening like it's the nuclear codes leading up to a season. We're asking coaches, everybody's awesome. No one's ever going to say a negative thing. You're certainly not going to compare guys one by one. Meanwhile, us in the media, we do things like lists during the summer. People love lists. Things get slow. How about you just rank your top 10 NBA players ever or the top five ACC basketball players of all time? That'll fill some of the content. You'll get people arguing with each other. Then you got Steve Forbes, who is the only basketball coach I've ever seen at any level, let alone the ACC, who put together the list himself. He gave us the top five scorers this summer in all live periods. He gave us the top five assist leaders. He gave us this list here of the five best guys on the team. The guys who've had the five best summers, according to the coaching staff and the players. Listen. I'm going to share the top five coming out of the summer. What does that mean? Well, these are the guys that ranked on, I thought, had the best summer based on playing and um, drills, the whole deal. Jake LaRavia was number one. Da- Davian Williamson was number two. Dallas Walton was number three. Cameron Hildreth was number four. And Hadeem C. was right there close with Linus Williams at number five. Wake Forest has some decent players coming back. Davian Williamson, he had his moments. Electric against North Carolina. Nearly led Wake Forest back in that game. Zay Musius was awesome in that game, too. He's coming back. Carter Witt. There are a ton of reasons to be excited about him. He was really good in the finale against Notre Dame. So when I heard Forbes list off the guys who had the best summers, and only one of the six guys he named was a returning player, that caught my attention. He transformed this team, and the best guys on this team, he even said it there, Jake LaRavia, the Indiana State transfer, number one on that list, the best guys on these team on this team are the new guys. They didn't have any size last year. That was a massive problem. What did they do? Here's 7-1 Colorado transfer Dallas Walton. Here's a 6-10 guy. Here's Jake LaRavia, who's 6-9 and can also play the 3. And Zay Musius is 6-8. He can play the 3 as well and the 4. Wake Forest has depth. There's reason to be excited And the reason to be most excited, I think, is the quality of coach Wake has. They have the right guy. And the reason they're able to get this guy, it can't be expressed enough, was because of a risk they took a year and a half ago. John Curry, the AD, when no other high major program made a change, when normally there are nine or ten most summers, most springs, Wake was the only one who did so in the pandemic. A month after we learned about it, really, In the middle of April, or the end of April, they acted, and they got a coach that I don't think they would have been able to get. And Steve Forbes. He won 75% of his games at East Tennessee State. Coached alongside Bruce Pearl, and Greg Marshall, and Billy Gillespie. It's the best incoming resume for a Wake basketball coach we've ever seen, and that includes Carl Tacey, and Skip Prosser, and Dave Odom. An unbelievable resume. Wake's going to be rewarded here. Mostly because the bar has been set comically low 
in Winston-Salem. You had so much success for two decades. I think only three or four programs of the ACC had more wins in the conference in those two decades, the 90s and 2000s combined, than Wake Forest did under Dave Odom, Skip Prosser, and Dino Gaudio. But since then, Danny Manning and Jeff Bezdelic took a hatchet to it. Took a hatchet to the program and lessened the standards. It's crazy to think the best season Wake Forest basketball has had in the last decade was a 10th place finish in the ACC in 2017, a first four lost. Uh, that's the best season in the last 10 years. The bar is comically low. I have little doubt that Steve Forbes is going to be able to have some success at Wake. To certainly achieve that low bar, exceed that, and raise it. And it's because of that risk John Curry took. And Nathan Hatch, the Dr. Hatch, the president, former president at Wake Forest, the university president. What they did a year and a half ago. Doing something that nobody else was willing to do. On Twitter at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600 if you want in. Cole, pinch hitting for Robert again in the producer's chair. Somebody recently told me that the reason we watch movies is to learn how to live our lives. And I found that interesting, and I think it's true. Because at our core, we are impressionable. We're impressionable creatures, which is why massive corporations like McDonald's and Coke still today pour thousands, millions into advertising. It works. It's also why, in order to make certain decisions, we rely on the results of others who've been in a similar spot. And football is the ultimate copycat sport. Look at how quickly everybody started running the spread in the SEC when Texas A&M joined the league with Johnny Manziel. A couple of years later, Saban's hiring the lane train and Alabama starting to get things cooked up that way. Teams were running the Wildcat for a handful of years after Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams were doing it for the late Tony Sperano when the Dolphins won that one AFC East title all those years ago. It's a copycat sport. And thinking in that way, it hit me yesterday what the Carolina Panthers are trying to do with Sam Darnold. The reason they believe Sam Darnold can be successful is because they just saw the same player picked up at a second spot and had success. They saw the success already play out. They saw the template work out. Ryan Tannehill is the template for Sam Darnold and the Panthers. They're pretty much the same player. The similarities are striking here. Look at the numbers. At least early Ryan Tannehill versus early Sam Darnold. Through 38 starts, Sam Darnold has 45 touchdown passes, 39 picks. Through his first 38 starts, Ryan Tannehill, 46 touchdowns, 35 picks. One more touchdown comparable in the interceptions. Similarities are striking. They have the same frame. I think Darnold might be an inch taller or Tannehill an inch taller and there's like a five or six pound gap between the two. They're practically the same player, same frame. They both can move a little bit better than they get credit for. Both ended up moving on after being ruined by Adam Gase and the AFC East. Both Losing to the New England Patriots a handful of times. Had their worst career seasons with Gase as their head coach. Ryan Tannehill found greener uh, greener pastures. And the Panthers are hoping the same 
for Darnold. Structure and weapons. Those were the two things Tennessee wanted to equip Tannehill with, and it led to them going to the AFC Championship a couple years ago. The terrific coaching of Mike Vrabel, an offensive coordinator who just got hired to be a head coach in Arthur Smith. That was enough to elevate Tannehill. Then you had a top 10 wide receiver in A.J. Brown and a top 5 running back in Derrick Henry being equipped with some talent around him. He did not have any of that in Miami. The best he probably had at running back was Jay Ajayi at wide receiver, maybe a year or two of Devontae Parker. Not a lot of great weapons there. Yes, Cole? Uh, they also had Jarvis Landry, another one that I got Jarvis Landry. Uh-huh. And Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills. That, that's a name. Great college wide receiver, not a lot in the pros. He didn't have a lot of weapons. None of those guys would qualify as a top 10 wide receiver in the league. And Derrick Henry, there's no back that Miami had that would be a top five back. Elevation and talent around him and elevation in coaching. And it's made all the difference in the world where Tannehill's put up terrific numbers, gaudy numbers at times. Carolina's thinking they're going to do the same thing here. Carolina has an offensive coordinator who's probably going to be a head coach someday in Joe Brady. They have a younger head coach on his first head coaching job who's looking to set a who who is a structure builder. He's a culture guy in Matt Rule. And you have a top five running back in Christian McCaffrey, a top ten receiver in DJ Moore. They feel they can get similar results to what Tannehill's had in Tennessee with Darnold in Charlotte. That is the template. Scott Fitterer went further talking about this yesterday in Spartanburg at Panthers camp. You know, I think it's just the, the offense that they're in sometimes, the, the players that are around them, the coaching they receive, and I think Sam uh, is going to benefit from a reset. Uh, he's got a really good coaching staff around him with Sean Ryan and uh, Joe Brady. They're just kind of building the, the basics. They've had a reset, and like I said before, flush what he's, what he's seen, and uh, we're going to build from there. And I don't even think Tannehill's current production is the ceiling for Darnold. I'm viewing this through... The positive lens. This is what Carolina hopes happens. That Darnold turns into Tannehill 2.0, Tannehill and Tennessee 2.0. The ceiling might even be higher than that because the big difference between the two, Darnold was 24 when he got out. He's 24 right now. Tannehill was 31 when he moved on to play with the Titans. So I don't even know if Darnold is quite in his prime yet. So there might be a higher ceiling with Darnold than with Tannehill. But that's the template. It's a copycat sport. There's no doubt. A lot of industries are copycat industries. Football especially is. And I could see Matt Rule, Scott Fitterer, Sean Ryan, the quarterback coach that Scott was talking about there, getting in a room and thinking, hmm, this guy has a lot of talent, drafted in the top five, we can get him with a second-round pick and a fourth-rounder, recoup a late-round draft pick we'd have to give up as well, and shipping off Teddy Bridgewater. That's pretty good value to have a quarterback come in, and we could take a corner, another need, with a number eight pick. I understand the thinking there. Tannehill is the template for the Carolina Panthers. You know who this is? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
Damn it. I forgot to tell Cole about the streak. David Hale with us from ESPN College Football Reporter. Every time he came on the show, Robert Walsh, our producer, would post a picture promoting his appearance on social media of David's former uh, avatar, Ben Affleck, standing on a standing shirtless on a beach, gazing out into the unknown. That streaks over because Cole's pinch hitting for Robert today, which is disappointing. Speaking of Twitter, you can follow David on Twitter at a David Hale joint where he tweeted yesterday, visited Wake Forest today. It's freshman move-in day. Was walking with Dave Clawson when a new student stopped by to ask for directions to the bookstore. He gave her and her little sister a tour and told her to look up a sophomore he knew in her hometown. Reason number 1,700,246 that college football's better than the NFL. Any more details you could share about that encounter? <laughs> um, you know, I, that sums it up pretty well. No, she, uh, she <laughs> it was pretty funny because we were kind of walking out of the building and she was walking in with her younger sister and she asked for directions to the bookstore and uh, and Dave Clawson was like, sure, I'd be happy to help you. I'm Dave Clawson. I'm the football coach. And she goes, oh, well, I will not be playing football for you. And so I don't think she was uh, super big on uh, college football at the moment. But I am going to wager that she is now a hardcore Wake Forest football fan. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just one of those great experiences that you don't get uh, outside of college sports. And even really, you know, I don't know how often Nick Saban's wandering around campus at Alabama, but it is wonderful to kind of see that there are genuine interactions between – football players and coaches and those people and, the, and just normal people on campus. And uh, I have I have no doubt that it was one that will stick with, with her throughout her time at Wake Forest. And Did, I'm sure she's much smarter than all of us and will go on to successful things and convince other people to be Wake Forest fans. Did you get the vibe that she approached Clawson to ask about the bookstore because he had, I'd imagine, some Wake Forest University gear on or just because he was the one person <laughs> nearby? You know, it's funny, uh, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but he said afterwards it was me and and, and Clawson and uh, Will Pantages, who's one of the, the sports information directors there, and, uh, and Clawson said to Will afterwards, don't, don't tell John Curry that I wasn't wearing my name tag that they're all supposed to be wearing on freshman move-in day. So I don't know what she saw in Dave Clawson other than that we happened to be walking out of a door the same time she was walking in, but it was uh, it turned into a... You, you, I, it was a little bit of uh, an inside uh, inside look into what a Dave Clawson recruiting pitch must be because it was very um, – he's a good salesman. I'll put it that way. ESPN college football reporter and narc David Hale joins us here on WSJS <laughs> Sports. I, I want to talk about Wake Forest football team because when I think about what makes Wake Forest strong, what make what's led to this bull streak that they have, it's the fact that early on – Clawson had a plan that he was going to redshirt the entire freshman class, and that's something that he loves to do. It's depth. You need to have depth and experience to win at Wake Forest. That's the recipe for Clawson. And when you have the free COVID year, yes, you have a lot of experience, but unfortunately, when I look at some key spots, I don't see as much depth as you normally would for the Deeks. I'm talking specifically about losing Nash at tackle 
and you're talking about losing a guy like Donovan Green. There's there's some areas at running back you lose Kenneth Walker, who's now at Michigan State. It might lead to some ridiculous numbers with this offense being put up by guys like Roberson or in the backfield Christian Beal Smith. But that concerns me about Wake when you look at the schedule after the bye in the middle of October. You have all those games in a row, starting with Army, that are pretty darn tough. How concerned are you about Wake Forest in the bull streak this year? You know, it's a good question because this is this has really consistently been not just Wake's problem, but I think when you look at the ACC and you look at the sort of line of demarcation between the the sort of better teams, the middle teams, and then the bottom teams, um, the difference between the top and the middle is largely about depth, and it's going to be hard when you have uh, when you are a smaller private school like Wake Forest, but but even at a place, you know, Duke fits that bill and Syracuse, but even at a place like NC State that um, I think considers themselves more developmental programs uh, as opposed to signing, you know, your blue chip guys every year, depth is hard to maintain because it takes a long time to build. Um, and so by the time you've kind of got a guy ready and, and, and they're ready to go out there and play, you've got them for a year or two. Um, this might change things. And one of the interesting things that Dave Clawson said to me is I think He's like, I, I think this is the best Wake team I have had, but I would wager that if you ask around the rest of the ACC, a lot of coaches are going to say the same thing because of that extra year of eligibility, because of the number of guys who played snaps last year that probably shouldn't have because of COVID. Um, so there's just a lot of teams that are in this situation where they, I think they feel good. I mean, there's... 13 of the 14 teams are returning a quarterback with starting experience. There's a lot in this league that is, is set up well for a, a big year. Um, and I think a lot of coaches are probably enthusiastic about uh, what they've got to work with. So then you start saying, well, what differentiates? And look, I, the top end, as you said, for Wake, I think looks really good. And they're, they're happy with, with Sam Hartman. They've got a good running back. They've got some good receivers. Um, they have a lot of returning experience on the line. I think they're really good at the back end of their defense. But there's probably a few teams that can say that, and there's not a lot of games on Wake's schedule, and this is true most years, that are just obvious wins because that's just not who Wake is. So, again, you get back to what does the second half of the season look like when you're playing some, some relatively evenly matched teams and your depth is being tested. And even a couple of years ago, you know, I would wager to say that the second-best team that Clawson has had in his time at Wake was two years ago, and that team started off really good and just couldn't stay healthy and maintain it. And You end up losing Jamie Newman and Sage Surratt and, and those guys, and it just it, it, it couldn't be sustained over the course of a whole season. That's where the challenge is, because I think you know, if they can stay healthy and, and, and play at the level that they're capable of playing in Week 1 all the way through the year, I, don't, I think this has a chance to be a pretty good Wake team. But, um, you know, if, if injuries add up, and, and this is a big if for a lot of guys, I think that, um, that you know, it becomes a very evenly matched schedule all the way through. And that's really kind of how the ACC has been outside of Clemson. For me to feel good, David Hale's with us here about Wake Forest. I, I feel like they need to start 5-1 and one because the first six games look like this. ODU, who didn't play last year, Friday night, that game's coming up in 15 days. Norfolk State. Florida State at home on Hall of Fame weekend. Wake Forest is in a good... They're catching FSU, I think, at a good time. 
at Virginia, Louisville, Scott Satterfield's coming to town to kick off October at Syracuse. They, they should start 5-1 and one because you go into the bye, and after that, this is what you have in consecutive weeks, the final six to close the year. You're at Army, home to Duke, okay. Then you're at Carolina, home to State, at Clemson, at Boston College. That is brutal at a time where you're usually worried about attrition you don't have the off week late, and all those games are piling up consecutively. That is my big concern for Wake Forest. Yeah, and I don't think you're wrong. And look, I, I, there is absolutely a path to starting five and one, or even six and zero. Oh. I mean, none of those games, as you mentioned, and if you, you add in Army and Duke to start the year, so let's look at those first eight games. There's none of those first eight games that you say Wake Forest cannot win that game. And that's a good position for Wake Forest to be in. That's a reason to be enthusiastic. But of those eight, there's probably four at least, maybe five, that you say, well, if Wake isn't playing at their best, they can lose. And look, I don't. Florida State's a great example of a team. I don't really know what to expect from them this year. I still think it's a big rebuilding situation. But there's so much rebuilding that is happening there that it's you, you can't entirely. I mean, Florida State beat. Uh, Carolina last year, and they had no business doing that. And this is, again, this sort of gets at what, outside of Clemson, the ACC has been for the last five or six years, which is um, some good teams and some less good teams, but the margin between them is not vast. And so you look at a, a, a year like this for Wake that would set up for a very, a potentially very strong start. I, you know, there's also a script that is not that hard to write where you say, they're five and three after, or four and four after uh, those first eight games. We started this conversation, David Hale of ESPN, with us here with Ben Affleck. I want to close it with Ben Affleck because I watched Argo last night. With everything that's going on in the country right. right now, I figured that'd be a good one to watch. And I thought we have David Hale coming on the show, so yeah, let's uh, let, let's watch Argo. So I watched Argo. And it's the first time I watched it since it was a Best Picture nom. It ended up winning Best Picture. Had me thinking. I'm not going to ask you what's the best movie Ben Affleck was in. I want you to tell me what period of Ben Affleck's life is the peak. Because I don't think you'd say it's the 90s on the ramp up after Goodwill Hunting being in Armageddon and Dogma getting together with Kevin Smith and company. The next five years is when you have the first J-Lo relationship, but you're putting out daredevil and uh that awful pearl harbor movie which is really bad that led to a really tough five-year stretch at the end of the 2000s you get three straight movies put out of the town argo and gone girl it's pretty damn good then you have the most recent five years where he's batman and he's back together with j-lo so when you're thinking about the peak of ben affleck what comes to mind first right well this is a good question I would suggest to you my most enjoyable Ben Affleck era is Goodwill Hunting, Kevin Smith era. Like those are the ones I probably like to go back and rewatch the most. But if you're asking like where is Ben at his peak, the, the true Renaissance, if you will, um, <laughs> it probably is that Argo to Gone Girl era. Um, and like the, the, look, I think he's happy. This is actually the great conundrum uh, of the, the paradox of Ben Affleck is he's clearly happiest when he's in a J-Lo era, but that's when he's doing his worst work. And so maybe it is the, the, the push and pull of that. You can't, he, 
he's a, 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 a perfect tragic figure in that he cannot have both happiness and success at the same time. You cannot have both J-Lo and an Academy Award at the same time. They are mutually exclusive in the world of Ben Affleck. And so he is doomed to uh, misery and failure and looking out upon the beach and wondering what has become of his world. The paradox of Ben Affleck. I absolutely love that. Is it a lot different than the, the Kardashian theory where... Kanye West's work hasn't been that great since being married to Kim and all the NBA players that date a Kardashian end up having terrible seasons. <laughs> I, the Kardashian being the new Madden cover jinx is actually great. I'm, <laughs> I really approve of that, of that whole idea. There you go. David Hale on Twitter at a David Hale joint. If you have Ben Affleck takes, fire them off at David. He would love to hear that. Uh, we'll have to catch up sometime soon, buddy. Thanks for doing this. There he goes. That's David Hale from ESPN. The paradox of Ben Affleck. Tremendous stuff. Oh, one thing I forgot to ask him about, the ACC revealed its COVID protocol for the season. And I think I think they did it right. The strangest thing that you'll find on this, following other leagues when it comes to forfeits if you're not able to play because your team had a COVID outbreak you forfeit the game the ACC wouldn't say that a month ago they're willing to say that now I have not seen this written down in any situation yet Cole what do you think happens if both teams have COVID situations and they're not able to play the game what happens uh, didn't it say that they had to forfeit the game and then, like, they forfeit Who's this. they? Like, both teams, right? Yes. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Maybe for the first time in the history of football, teams are going to, both teams are going to receive a loss the same week. If both teams have COVID situations and are unable to play, both teams will be handed L's. Never seen that before. So what happens if we have like a like for Clemson or like a UNC? What do you mean? Like I mean, big prominent schools, they still lay the law down on those two teams. They have to. Yeah, you think? You you could be skeptical. There are a lot of people who are skeptical about things like concussion protocol and other things when it comes to Clemson. They they follow the rules. Be Trevor sat out two weeks. He followed the protocol to a T. Missed two games, including the biggest game of the year against Notre Dame. I don't know how people could say Clemson gets favor. Uh, preferential treatment in that regard. They do get preferential treatment in terms of scheduling. I think we know that. But that's understandable. This is what we know. There are... If you get to the 85% threshold on a team, 85% of the team's vaccinated, then unvaccinated individuals will only have to test once per week. If you don't reach that threshold, unvaccinated individuals have to test three times a week. And those who are vaccinated do not have to be tested whatsoever. It's like the NC State situation in baseball. Vanderbilt was completely vaccinated. They didn't have to get tested during the week. NC State did. Unvaccinated players tested positive. Then everybody got tested. And that's what ended NC State's baseball season. In terms of teams that have reached the threshold of 85% vaccination, a lot of private schools involved in this. Duke and Wake Forest in this state. 
Then you got Virginia, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and Boston College. Those are the six teams. Unnamed North Carolina, unnamed Clemson. So those unvaccinated players are going to have to go through three tests per week until they get to that 85% threshold. I think the ACC is doing this right. That's what you need to know from the policy. There's a chance that both teams can receive L's if they have outbreaks and not enough players to play in a given week. They're not dealing with postponing games again. What? 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 This is wrong. You shut up! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Every time Steve Forbes has a press conference, there are some laugh-out-loud moments in it, and we haven't had many during the off-season, so there haven't been many Steve Forbes shows to keep you posted on. We call it the Steve Forbes Show. Every single time he has a press conference, we play some of the best stuff from it, some of the most entertaining stuff from it, I should say, including some talk of recruiting. Camp, I think, is still about another month away, about a month away from the start of basketball preseason camp, but they've had a number of summer practices. He's been able to recruit the last few months. It's not just Zoom. He's Wake's coach, and for the first time as Wake's coach, he gets to go into gyms and talk to players and get to know them and recruit them. So I figured it'd be worth hearing what Coach Forbes misses about being on the recruiting trail aside from getting to see the players up close in person. But I don't really want to say I missed any. I, I did miss just being in there and, and um, you know, hearing those the sneakers squeak, actually seeing the kid's actual size. When he told me he was 6'10", and, and I stand, I'm not 6'10", but I can tell you're about 6'7". Um, what I don't miss is the Peach Jam, uh, it might be the coldest event in the history of recruiting. I don't know how you don't get pneumonia walking out of there from uh, minus 30 to 112 in Augusta. You know, that, 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 that's hard in the summertime. Cole, have you ever had pneumonia? Uh, no, never had pneumonia. Me neither. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. I'm interested, though. How many kids pulled off that trick of giving themselves an extra inch or two? It always used to happen, hey, here's an inch, because who's what coach is going to say, oh, you know, you're off by an inch. You're not 6'7", you're actually 6'6". Given all the Zoom interviews and everybody watching on film, maybe you get away with three inches, and you say you're 6'10", rather than 6'7". That might be a trick that some people pull. Happens on dating apps all the time. Had a friend of mine who went on a date with some dude who just flat out lied on his page, and it was blatant. It was, I think he said he was 5'9 or 5'10, then shows up and he's Tom Cruise height. He's 5'5, five five, maybe 5'4. Five and that's serious for women. If. If a lady is taller than a man, that's a tough spot for them to be in. Now, it can work. I have family members that 
have made that work. But you got to tell the truth in those spots. I've had someone accuse me of lying. Back when I was dating and I was on those apps, someone said, you're not six foot, because that's the most blatant lie that people tell. They just get to that six foot threshold instead of saying they're 5'10 or whatever. You want to be six foot because it sounds good. I am right at six feet tall. One time I was measured, and it was five in the last two years, and it was 5'11 and about nine or ten inches. But in that spot, I think it's okay to say you're six foot. Here's a great question I have. If we're still talking about height, we'll get back to Steve Forbes in a second. If we're still talking about height, how tall do you have to be to stop bringing up the inches or the quarters or the halves? You know what I'm talking about? Where people say, I'm 5'3 and one quarter. At what point do you stop saying that? Is it taller than 5'5? Five five? If you're taller than 5'5, five five, it's no longer cool to say, I'm 5'6 and a quarter. Okay. If you were 5'3 and a quarter, I wouldn't say anything. But 5'6, that, that's the borderline now. Yeah, I think 5'5 five five is about the limit. How tall are you? Uh, five eight. I think you added an inch. I'm like five seven and three quarters. <laughs> nope, nope. You can't add the quarters. We just established this. If you're taller than five five, can't add the quarters. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred. If you want in on the show, by the way, moving it along. Steve Forbes. He looks good. Looking thin. If I could criticize, see, I'm in the media, so I have to be objective here. If I'm going to criticize the way that Forbes looks, not a big fan of the polo shirt underneath the the jacket. That's never worked for anybody. I don't trust people to have polo shirts underneath jackets. That used to be a Will Muschamp thing he did all the time. Few other coaches did that. Come on now, coach. I know you got those button-up shirts. You You haven't had to wear suits in two years almost. We can get a suit on here, or at least just a button-up shirt. You don't even have to wear the tie. You could pull a Tony Bennett and just the button-up shirt, no tie. It's a solid look. What's not a solid look is the polo underneath the jacket. Forbes looks pretty thin. He he mentioned that Davian Williamson, when he coached him at East Tennessee State, when he recruited him out of Winston-Salem Prep, was at around 148 pounds. Well, he's now, or 149, he's now at 183. He, he's bulked up. Davian's had himself a great summer, Coach Forbes has gone in the other direction, we learned. Well, you know, Davian gained it and I lost it. Uh, it's, com- it's competition. Um, actually, you know, I was looking at Twitter, and we all know Twitter doesn't lie, and the Lane train, Lane Kiffin, said that he lost 30 pounds or something like that, and, and so I couldn't be beat by him. So I think I'm at 41 today uh, since March, my birthday, March 22nd. 41 pounds? Congratulations to Coach Forbes. How about that? He even said here was part of his trick. He has the get right program. He was aggressive with it. He said that he brought his scale on the road with him. He traveled with his scale. So that way he couldn't hide hide from accountability when he was recruiting. That's a decent move. Coach Forbes, pretty slim. Slim Forbes over here. Solid stuff. Then we learned about some of the team building Wake Forest got involved in. Everything from 
dinners at Coach Forbes' house, his wife making a bunch of dishes, and would have kids over. They can watch movies in his basement. Times where Forbes is like up at midnight and you could hear the wall shaking from watching a movie. Some team building that he wasn't able to get last year. He even mentioned a trick he learned from Pat Riley where there'd be certain times, no phones, you just sit there and hang out with your teammates, go to dinner with your teammates, but then you would move around some nameplates. You'd have to sit where your name was at, and every night you'd be sitting next to other teammates of yours, so that way you didn't get divided into groups. All of it's very well thought out, including a trip where they went airsoft gun shooting, teaming, I don't quite know what the right term is here. Hunting, there you go. Airsoft hunting, where the prey was each other. Here's Forbes describing that experience. But it's just it's just team building, man, and, and getting to know each other. Just like the airsoft. You know, I didn't really want to do that. It was like 110, you know. I'm out there in battle fatigues, um, trying not to get shot. And that thing hurts, too, by the way. Don't get it twisted. That, that little airsoft ain't soft now. Oh, there's photos. Yeah, yeah, Ross, yeah. They tried to machine gun me a couple times, but I'm pretty elusive out there. You know, I'm from Iowa. I've been in the trees before. Hey, a cameo from Les Johns there. Forbes has been in the trees. What do you think that means? Uh, Guerrilla warfare. Guerrilla warfare. It's the uh-huh. only thing that can mean. No, nah, I mean, there are other things that could mean. Coach Forbes, he's a fun guy. He likes to have fun around here. What does it mean to machine gun somebody? An airsoft gun. <laughs> I guess just light them up. <laughs> just, do they sell Tommy guns for airsoft? Um, I mean, they might. They may have AKs? automatic airsoft. Do you have AKs for airsoft guns? I used to play paintball. I never really played airsoft. Airsoft was dangerous because those things do hurt a lot. And... You know, at times, you might not be wearing the proper gear. It's a lot more accessible, those airsoft guns. Paintball, it's a it, it's more of a to-do. Nobody's just going to be firing paintball guns at people in the house. When it comes to airsoft, you might actually do that. It's more dangerous, I think. Paintball, though, whew, I've had some outings, Cole. I remember one time, we were doing teams, and we were playing paintball. And I was the last one on my team, and there was one person left on the other team. So we had this entire canvas, this entire map, where we were going head-to-head with each other. And we decided we were going to go head-to-head, just running at each other in this field, and whoever got the best of one another was going to win this game. And as I was sprinting, I realized that my gun was malfunctioning. It's not working. I'm in an open field. This guy quickly realized I was in distress. We had issues, and let's just say he didn't just fire one shot at me. It was about 13, and some of them hit me in a region I don't care to describe at length. So I don't think I played paintball much after that. Uh, my favorite paintball story from when I played back, you know, when I was you know a couple of years back. Oh, is, look uh, at you! At a paintball course uh, back home. There was a guy on the other team, like it was the same situation, like team thing. But this guy looked like straight out of Call of Duty. Like he had the sniper, like paintball gun. Really? Yes. And he had a ghillie suit on. Like a What's full a ghillie on, suit? Like full on, like 
Oh, like, like an suit. aquatic? I got you. No, like a leaf suit, like blends oh, in with the yeah, 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 surrounding. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you can't see the guy. He was also cheating. He had a rag to like wipe the paint off his suit. Like That's whenever terrible. he got tagged. So he wouldn't go out. And also had uh, frozen paintballs. So they don't oh, bust. Oh, frozen paintballs. Yes. That, that was the is worst the worst. paintball. Boy, that's rough. I'm sorry to hear that. And that hurts a ton when those hit you. Panthers had joint practices today. They wrapped things up with the Ravens. A couple of highlights. The defense had five interceptions, but to add a grain of salt here, one of them was Lamar Jackson, I think. They had one quarterback throw three picks, another throw one. Lamar threw one. The Ravens, they were without their two starting tackles, five of their top six wide receivers. Davion Nixon had two picks. The rookie out of Iowa that I thought was a steal when they got him in the middle rounds. It only looks more like that's the case. Bad news to the Panthers defense. Marquise Haynes got nicked up. I think it was a shoulder injury. Probably going to be out for one to two weeks. They hope to have him back for the start of the regular season. The offense, they bounced back. Looked better. Receivers caught balls. Rule was lighter. On the young wide receivers, he even told a story that apparently (laughs) he talked to the wide receivers after yesterday's practice, the young guys, the rookies specifically, and he said none of the rookies, Shai Smith and Terrace Marshall Jr., had been in an offense where you huddle up and call plays in their life. Like going back to peewee ball, no huddle, quickly speed it up. Just get a play in there, audible, and then the offenses they ran in college the same way. It was more up-tempo. That, that's what they were used to. And so they've been adjusting to getting huddled up and having plays called. That's a new concept for them. Things that you want to get ironed out, joint practices. Saturday night, it's going to be Panthers-Ravens on... WFMY Channel 2 locally, Taylor Zarzor and Steve Smith is going to be on the call for that. Crazy to think we're done with training camp. And two weeks from today, App State, ECU, going to be kicking it off at Bank of America Stadium starting week one of college football around here. That's going to be an unbelievable week one. We were talking about that since the schedule dropped. Might be the best week one we've seen ever. Yeah, he's weird. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Time for unusual questions. Send them in on Twitter at WSJS Sports. 336-777-1600 being the number. I probably should have called for these on social media earlier today, but we'll do it now. Let's get it started, Cole. Start thinking about some things that might not usually fit and some of the questions we asked during the week, but for this segment, we we oblige them. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. The question I asked going into the break I watched Argo last night with everything that's been going on in the Middle East. Also a Best Picture movie that I haven't seen since it once since it won Best Picture. And I used to watch all the Best Picture movies when they came out. I still try to do that. 
What's the peak of Ben Affleck's career? I ask it that way because if it's the best movie that he's done, obviously it's Goodwill Hunting, and that's not really a fun game to play. But the peak of Ben Affleck's career, when was it? Cole, you were about to answer the question. I mean, I guess it might be the J-Lo era. See, the reason I can't say it's the J-Lo era, that was the low point of his film career. See, he had this run after Goodwill Hunting that launched him into getting involved with Kevin Smith. Hey, we're going to do Chasing Amy. You're going to be involved. We're going to do Dogma. We're going to feature you in Clerks. Clerks 2, I think it was. Armageddon was in that stretch too, which I still, even though it's just a ridiculous movie, I still stand behind it. After that stretch, mm, a lot of bad. You had the Pearl Harbor movie. Yikes. Daredevil. That was rough. I'd like to think that's when he met who ended up being his wife, Jennifer Garner, but rough movies, and he brought it back. He revived his career. The Panthers are hoping they can revive Sam Darnold the way that Ben Affleck revived things at the end of the 2000s, because here are three straight movies he put out in 2010, 2012, then 2014. The Town... Argo, Gone Girl. Three consecutive movies. All bangers. The Town, one of the best bank robbery movies you're going to find. Argo, you directed it, you starred in it, you won the Oscar for Best Picture. Then you go do a David Fincher movie, and Gone Girl still holds up incredibly well. Him playing Nick Dunn. I'd probably say that's the peak, just because he, he returned, he... Returned on top. He won Best Picture. He did it as a director. And then he did a great movie after that. And then he became Batman. And he got J-Lo back. None of that happens if he doesn't have that great run. So I think that's the peak of his powers. Cole, real quickly, ask me something. What's uh, Give me an unusual question. Um, the one I've had written down for a couple weeks now wanting to get it in. How do gorillas get so massive? When the only thing they eat is grass, fruit, and, like, bamboo. Gosh, I really wish Robert was in here. Like, there's no protein in that diet. I don't understand. He probably could answer the question. I don't have the answer. I'm like, Sway, interviewing Kanye West. You ain't got the answer, Sway! That's me. I, I, I don't have the answers, but it's a wonderful unusual question you're asking there of how do gorillas get that big without having any protein in that diet maybe there's some protein that we don't know about that's that's all I got naturally big boned you know how people say that when they're fat I'm just big boned maybe they were right all along because gorillas they're just big boned Cole I got another one. Why do radio stations play Friday I'm in Love on days other than Friday? That is a crime against humanity to me. Friday I'm in Love 
it's a feeling. It's a positive feeling. I'd be fine if you fine if you play it on Saturday too. Because Saturday's a day. Oh yeah, Friday was yesterday, but it's Saturday. I don't have to work tomorrow. But playing it on Sunday's cruel because it reminds you it's not Friday and the work week's about to happen. Playing it on a Thursday is probably the cruelest because you might think maybe I'm wrong and it is Friday. Like what happened to me going into work today? In the middle of the week, you're you're just the worst as well. So, want to throw that out there. Let's go to John and Winston. John, what's your unusual question? My unusual question is: uh, Do dumb answers result into dumb questions, or do dumb questions result into dumb answers? What do you? How do you think Roy Williams would answer that question? I don't know off the top of my head to tell you the truth. <laughs> Thanks so much, because, John. Yeah. Appreciate that. Huh. Really makes you think, Cole. That's, that's a deep one. Yeah. Do dumb answers. Should you give a dumb answer to a dumb question? Probably. That's what I'd say. There are such things as dumb questions. I believe that. I got another one here for you, just some NFL talk. Uh, which NFL quarterback do you think is going to be the next Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh McCown type of journeyman career? That's not an unusual question. I thought you were going to say, which NFL quarterback do you think... Actually, you know what? I'm going to merge your questions together. I'm going to make... <laughs> I'm going to merge your questions into a super question. If all 32 quarterbacks banded together, could they take down a gorilla? Ooh. I'm saying all you have are your football helmets, your uniform. You don't have any tools or weapons that are in. You're just in. You're on the gorilla's home turf. Oh, no. A fully grown gorilla versus 32 starting NFL quarterbacks. Some of the best athletes on planet Earth. How's that go? So they're, they're merged together, right? It's like one being. No. Oh, all 32 together. Yeah, you have all 32 quarterbacks working together. Oh. To try and take down this one gorilla. Yeah, but gorilla gets home field advantage though. That's it's true. They get home field like jungle. Would it make you feel better if they were playing in Bank of America Stadium? Ah, <laughs> uh, probably. The gorillas in Bank of America Stadium. There you go. It's on a yeah. You get the gorilla out like in the open. Yeah, yeah. I think they can work with that. Thirty-two people, thirty-two hmm. athletes can. They can figure that out. Thirty-two athletes versus a gorilla. Now that's an unusual question. Uh, we got one from Robert as well in honor of uh, him oh, being Robert. homesick. Um, what's the best sick day TV show? A show you normally wouldn't watch, but you're forced to watch it because you're homesick. Springer. Jerry Springer? It's it's. There's no doubt. Robert said, um, Judge Judy and Two and a Half Men. See, he's been watching a lot of Two and a Half Men this week. Robert's told me that all week long. but I would say anything on Food Network. Like, Especially at Guy Fieri. I've never understood it. That's... I've never understood it when I'm... I know this joke's been made before, but it's true. When I'm filled up, I'm not wanting to watch food being made. And when I'm not filled up, it makes me want to eat. Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> when I was down with the COVID last spring and got put in with the hotel... With the COVID? Yeah, when I got put in the hotel at school... Um, I was watching a lot Explain of... that one for me. Elon just has a hotel for people 
with COVID to sit in? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure they just, like, rented out, like, a couple hotel rooms. Like, I think the, the entire hotel I think I was in was completely rented out. And they had a couple yeah. other rooms in different hotels. Shout out. Shout out to the folks in Burlington. That was a nice two weeks. Here's a question I have. Is there anything you wouldn't buy at Costco? See, we've talked about before that I think this was after I got engaged. I learned that Costco had engagement rings and pretty nice ones too. I think someone even offered they'd pay for the engagement ring if I got it from Costco. You could get that from Costco. They have beds. They have pretty much everything you can want at Costco. But of course, there are things you can't get there. So is there anything you can't get or is there anything you wouldn't want to buy? From Costco. You'd feel, yeah, that's kind of over the line. If engagement rings are not over the line, what is over the line? I don't want to get that from Costco. Uh, do they have like bulk buy milk gallons? They do. Know. They do. I don't know if I want to buy milk in bulk. I mean, just see, kind of you could just buy, you, you could get the 2% regular milk bottles yeah. that they have, or you can get the, you can get three uh, containers of whole milk, which of course holds for about a month. Those are your choices. One more on the way out from David. Why do kamikazes wear helmets? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I love this game. It's fun. Eric writes in, Big boned? I've never seen a fat skeleton. <laughs> I mean, gorillas, don't they, they got pretty big skeletons. I'm sure they do. Big bone folk. Everybody's welcome here. Steve Forbes. Not going to make the joke. Nope. <laughs> down down 41 pounds, Steve Forbes. Skinny Steve Forbes. He had some strong words about next year's team that you've got to hear. If you're a Wake Forest fan, you're going to want to hear this. We'll play the clips. We'll react next on The Drive. 